we've got Moses, we've got Elijah, we've got a bunch of markers that are going to tell the people who are listening to this, this story being told, like, pay attention, this is really important, like giant flashing neon signs. Hi friends, this is Under God, I'm Jackie Newsom, and I'm Isaiah Lewis, and we are two outsiders who are coming together to question the text and build community. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Woohoo, we did it. Right. We are we are really kicking pandemic butt here, getting these episodes out. We're doing a great job. We're getting these episodes out. You picked um the scripture today. We're doing what we always do. Thanks to all of our listeners for engaging with us in Lectio Divina where we sort of just meditate and focus on a particular scripture, talk about what stands out to us, give you a little bit of context, um, and just sort of, I mean, the goal of this is to feel and think and see and to learn and to feel connected with one another. Um, We started doing this because we were like, hey, we want to spend more time with the Bible and we're not going to do it alone. <laughs> yep. That's, um, that's and so now thing. we have this awesome meditation practice where we really think deeply and honestly and, and in sort of complex ways about the text. I mean, we're not afraid to take it to task. And I think, I think that's awesome. Um, so I'm excited to dig in. For this week, Isaiah, I mean, I guess I'll kick it to you. I'm interested in why you picked this one. I was actually like right before you texted me, I was thinking, I really like Matthew and I feel like I read Matthew too much and I should start reading something else. And then you texted me, Mark, and I was like, woohoo. <laughs> well, it's yeah. interesting. Yeah. It is interesting. Well, it is. It's the year of Mark in the lectionary. So we've actually moved from Matthew to Mark. So it makes sense why. I mean, I don't know about most of your life, but in the past year, it would make sense for you to be focused on Matthew because if any anybody who's following the lectionary is going to get a lot of Matthew in 2020 and a lot of Mark in 2021. So. Okay, that makes sense then. Okay, so we so we're gonna spend some time with Mark and get to know Mark. Yeah, we switched over. Okay, dope. I'm open. Yeah. I'm ready. Let's do this. Yeah. So uh you asked the reason why I picked picked this passage. And to be completely honest, it's because I got new commentaries and I wanted to use them. Yes. Nerding <laughs> unites. <laughs> That is exactly why. I was like, we're going to crack open this uh, commentary. We're going to try it out. I was very excited. That's dope. Do you want to quickly tell listeners or remind listeners what a commentary is? Yeah, a commentary is a book that helps you understand books of the Bible. So it goes through sort of chunk by chunk in a book according to the different stories in Mark, for example. And really kind of drills down and gives you more context, sometimes about words um, that show up in other places, in this case in the Greek, or kind of help you understand the symbolism that might be coming from other places in the Bible. Um, So it just really deepens your reading. 
and helps you make sense of a passage. How do we understand or how do you think about commentaries in terms of bias? Or I think we're here because we we consider ourselves outsiders, right? So how do we navigate yeah. being outsiders with and thinking through commentaries or the bias in them? Yeah, I mean, I think the commentary that you pick is really important. And I also think that it's important to not never just read one or rely on one and to also sort of do your research in terms of who the people are. So I look up the editors of the commentaries that I read to see if there are people who, frankly, who I, who I might trust with their reading. But I also talk back even in the commentary. I don't think just because it's written down that they're automatically right. <laughs> so in the commentary that I got, I actually, at the very end of, of this passage in Mark 9, it was saying something about like how the scripture was telling us that God allows Christians to participate in the suffering of Christ. And I was like, well, that's some bullshit. Like, that's just not good theology. That's not actually what's happening here. I reject that. Because we have room of, for interpretation, commentaries are our conversation partners and not our be-all, end-all, this is what this means. And at the end of the day, scripture is something that speaks to us mm -hmm. and and we have the authority to understand it for ourselves yeah that's it no i think that was really helpful i think it's really important to know because the reason why we're here and the reason why we are doing this podcast is because we are being thoughtful about what we consume and how we consume when it comes to the biblical text and i feel like there are a lot of spaces that don't give you that permission or use the language that you use, which is so powerful. Like we do have the authority um, to think through this stuff, to question this stuff in light of lived experiences, identity, Holy Spirit, unbelief, like whatever. And I think it's, it's just an important reminder that that's why we're here. So we're not here to rubber stamp the text. We're not here to be like, you know, and this is why blah, blah, blah. Anything that you listeners are getting from us is like, real and authentic and certainly could change over time but like it's where we're at right now so yeah yeah let's stay in so we are reading mark chapter 9 verses 2 through 13 six days later jesus took peter james and john and brought them to the top of a very high mountain where they were alone he was transformed in front of them and his clothes were amazingly bright brighter than if they had been bleached white Elijah and Moses appeared and were talking with Jesus. Peter reacted to all of this by saying to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good that we're here. Let's make three shrines, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He said this because he didn't know how to respond, for the three of them were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice spoke from the cloud. This is my son, whom I dearly love. Listen to him. Suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them not to tell anyone what they had seen until the, after the human one had risen from the dead. So they kept it to themselves, wondering, what's this rising from the dead? They asked Jesus, why do the legal experts say that Elijah must come first? He answered, Elijah does come first to restore all things. Why was it written that the human one would suffer many things and be rejected, 
In fact, I tell you that Elijah has come, but they did to him whatever they wanted, just as it was written about him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Six days later, bleached white. Yeah. Three shrines. Human one. Why is Elijah getting so much airtime? Mm, mm-hmm. Peter reacted to all of this. <laughs> he didn't know how to respond. He ordered them not to tell anyone. Mm. It's good that we're here. Why was it written? It's an interesting one. Mm. Listen to him. A cloud overshadowed them. Yeah. Whew. I feel like I saw a lot more when I was reading it, like having to look at every word. I Yeah, I was struck. I mean, the whole first, as it is laid out on BibleGateway.com, what presents is the whole first paragraph. So two to, to the end of six, I was like, are these words intentional? Do all of these things mean, mean a thing? Like, do they mean a very high mountain? Do we care? Yeah. You know? He was transformed, like Jesus was transformed, reads now to me separate from, because there's an and, and his clothes were bright white or brighter than bleached white. So he, it's not like him being committed to the whiteness, which is a concern (laughs) for me, Um, but talking about his clothing and potentially whatever that means. Elijah and Moses appear and they're talking with Jesus about what? And could Peter, James, and John hear what they were talking about? Where they, mm. where's, where's everybody situated? I feel like I'm going into sort of lawyer mode, like I'm at a preliminary hearing. Okay, so your testimony is that they were talking. Could you hear them? Did you see their lips moving? Like, <laughs> what? How you know? That really struck me because it's like they're talking, but it seems like Peter doesn't know what's going on because Peter's like, okay, let's make these shrines. Let's do this thing, blah, blah, blah. That's so good. And what you're doing right now is actually part of uh, Ignatian uh, spiritual practice that involves imagining yourself in the story. So like, this is a really old way of, of reading. Where were you whenever you were reading that? Like, what, where did you find yourself? Yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to position myself on this mountain in the middle of it all. Mm-hmm. you know like I'm trying I'm trying to envision myself like close enough to see and hear all the things because it's like a cloud overshadowed them where'd the cloud come from what direction east what you know like do we mean cloud as we understand it like how big was it yeah and how did you so the cloud distracted you from being able to see like Elijah and Moses not be there anymore so like, is it long? Is it is it like horizontal and vertical? Like, how low is it? You know, how short are these people? Like, I have a lot of functional questions here. <laughs> like, why don't why do you know so little and you were there? What what's happening? It's a really good question. Yeah, because so they think- don't know very much. Yeah. afterwards, and like. Thinking about, I mean, I'm going to need you to to remind me because all I remember about Elijah is him being a prophet and then 
I don't remember if it's Elisha or Elijah who comes for, I can never remember, but Moses is like the main man, right? And I would imagine for people reading this text, they have a lineage, right? Or an understanding that Moses is the end all be like Moses is one of the most important people for the people of Israel, right? Like Moses is a big deal. Yeah. And yet here, Moses is being outshined by Elijah. And I'm wondering how the reader is understanding that. Because I would think that for Jewish folk, right? Moses is deep, is just deeply important. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm wondering if there's any sort of frustration or controversy around, yeah, him not getting a whole lot of shine in here. Do you, do you want an answer? Yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Teach us. So, so I got to crack open my brand new commentaries and they helped me out with this. I was very excited. So, so you're right. Moses is this hugely important figure. He is where we get the law. This is basically how we, um, how we understand who God is and and how we respond to that in this time, right? And so Moses is is hugely important. Elijah is important for apocalyptic reasons. He's the one who comes uh, at the end of the world, essentially. So that's why they're so focused on Elijah is because they're, you know, they know something is about to happen, but where's Elijah? Because Elijah is sort of like the marker of, all right, buckle up, let's go. And so they, they see Elijah and they're like, oh, whoa, right? This is, so basically what's happening on this mountain, we've got a mountain, mountains are really important. We've got a giant cloud, a giant talking cloud, We've got Moses, we've got Elijah, we've got a bunch of markers that are going to tell the people who are listening to this this story being told, like, pay attention, this is really important. Like, giant flashing neon signs uh, telling us that. Mm-hmm. And Elijah is one of the giant flashing neon signs, because Elijah brings about the day of the Lord. <laughs> or he's he's one of the markers that the day of the Lord is coming. And the day of the Lord is basically the end of the world. But where do we get this? Because because conversations about Elijah happen in the Old Testament. He's Elijah's a prophet, right? Yeah, Elijah's a prophet. So there's some suggestion in this text that like at the end in verse 12, he answered, Elijah does come first to restore all things. In fact, I tell you, skipping down to 13, in fact, I tell you that Elijah has come, but they did to him whatever they wanted just as it was written about him and some scholars think that that's a reference to john the baptist that john the baptist is playing the role for jesus um he's playing the role of elijah not that he is literally elijah but he is playing that role the bottom line is that jesus is trying to be like yeah what i want to say is protocol is already established yep we checked all the boxes we've done all the things it's about to go down don't you yeah. worry. It's about to go down. Yep. All of that stuff that you were promised, fulfilled, check, check, check. Yeah, exactly. Like, what are the signs that you need to pay attention to what's about to happen next? Because I'm going to throw all of them at you to hope that some of them stick. Mm, okay. 
And the other thing that's happening, so like you said, Moses is really important. Elijah is also really important. They are two of the three people who went to go be with God without dying. Enoch is the the other one, but he's, he's not actually that important. It's just like a weird little story that he goes off to be with God without dying. But like Moses and Elijah both are carried up to heaven to be with God. And so... The fact that they are here, like, in front of Jesus is another sort of pointing to resurrection. They didn't die, but they are alive with God, like, literally alive with God. And so that's another kind of, it's another sort of pointing towards what's going to happen next, if that makes sense. So to sum up, I feel like a little of what we said so far, this is... I learned this phrase from you deep cut like these are we are referencing here a lot of other passages or scriptures and so I think it could feel confusing or difficult to understand what's going on here the points that are being made because a lot of this is referencing other things in the old testament is that fair yeah so for us it's really really dense and hard to unpack for the people who are listening to this it would be super obvious because they would be so used to hearing these stories that they would immediately pick this up. Yeah. So I, I often, I'm trying to bring in a black history month thing for an example, and I'm doing a poor job because I'm ratchet. Um, But so what I'm thinking of is, so Drake has a song where he says, I'm the light skin key sweat. Mm-hmm. And what I realized is that if you don't know who key sweat is, And if you don't know the impact Key Sweat has had on on R&B, you're not going to appreciate what Drake is trying to say about himself, right? Exactly. But if you do, you like, Drake, boy, boy, stop. You ain't no Key Sweat. (laughs) Um, But that's like a really, because that sort of crosses generations and, you know, we're at the sort of tail end of our ability to be able to know who Key Sweat is. So like, Kids born after 95, I think, may be a little confused. I also was listening to a podcast where they were referencing Waiting to Exhale, which is a movie um, that Whitney Houston was in. And Angela Bassett, who is, I think, now a bit more famous. At the time, they may have all been on the same plane. Um, But Angela Bassett has this scene where she lights her, her husband's car and clothes on fire because he's leaving her for a white woman and that's a um a gif now and people use the gif without knowing the context of the movie Mm. but if you so so if you use the gif it's just like a black woman with things on fire behind her and it's just like sure i want to burn it down but if you but if you watch the movie Mm -hmm. then you can really appreciate you know the gif like it's there's a new level of appreciation yeah. So are, is is that similar to what's happening now? That's exactly what's happening right now. Okay. Okay. I could go over a couple of other places that I found out if you are interested. I am very much so. So the the one thing that is really important, um, I would say, is the cloud. Um, when the cloud says, this is my son who I dearly love, listen to him. Does that remind you of anything anywhere? Maybe not. Ooh. We have to cut this part out if I'm wrong. The only thing that I remembered is in the Easter program, 
it was my line to say, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. Yeah. And okay. Yeah, I got it right. <laughs> so that's what it reminded me of. But what was what was happening there? Why was, yeah, why was God talking? Maybe it was a Christian program. Some program at church. Why was God talking? Because of Jesus' baptism. So oh, that's right. The clouds are ripped open. The word that's in Mark is like right. ripped open. And the Holy Spirit descends like a dove and says, this is my son, the beloved. That's like, right. That's right. Yeah. So this is this is a throwback to that. This is a reference there. But we have this added command, listen to him. Mm. And so he's given even more authority than he was given at his baptism of like, no, really, this is what's happening. Pay attention to this guy because God is saying that this is what really matters right now. I just think that's interesting that we do have that tie to his baptism when he's pretty close to being executed at this point. This is the reminder um, we knew at the beginning of his his ministry that God was telling us what was important. And now now we are coming to the close of the implications of, of his ministry, of his life and ministry. Mm. So I just, um, the cloud is a special cloud. Special God cloud. Not special God cloud. <laughs> I don't know. But, no, but, the, but we've seen it before and that matters. And that often matters, right? And a lot of what we read, which is why context is so important, right? Because in a lot of what we read, there's references to things that help you. It, it's really hard to read this stuff standing alone in isolation. So when people pick random scriptures and post them or, you know, preach about them, all shade intended, it's like context. <laughs> <laughs> So the other thing that I was learning. Um, you can say all the things you don't need to is, ask. Like this is a hard text. So all the things you want to say, they should likely be said because this is hard. <laughs> yeah, it is. And it's, I feel like we don't, it's, if you don't unpack it, then it doesn't make sense. It's like, right. oh, he went up to the mountain. He transformed maybe into a snake, maybe into a rabbit. We don't know. And then he was all shiny and everybody was confused and right. then they went down the mountain which is like true although he didn't turn into a rabbit probably or a snake that would be weird um we don't know what he transformed into to your point um but that also happens to moses right so that's even a throwback to moses moses goes up onto the mountain to receive the, the ten commandments and when he comes back down, he's all shiny and people can't look at him because mm -hmm. he has been in direct contact with God. So that's another link there. Um, because but, when you meet God, when you give your life to God, hallelujah, you become shiny. <laughs> yes. And people, your enemies can't even look at you. You're so, it's like, right? But like, that's how, that's how sermons develop. And it's like, well eh, right like let's let's do a little bit more work here like i'm you know what i mean because there's a good shout if you will right there's some there's some happy feelings if you're like and when you come to god these are the benefits you get shiny and people people don't look at you the same and you're transformed and all of these wonderful things happen to you but like 
Moses was stressed. The people weren't listening. Like it, you know, like he was, he was like, God, bro, like what's, what's really good. Yeah. And there are even similarities there of like, Moses comes down from the mountain. He had more, um, com- like he actually had m- more uh, commandments than that, but he just throws them down in yep. anger because he sees the mess yep. of what people have created. He grinds up the commandments and makes them eat them because he's so mad. Like this is, it's actually kind of messed up. And like, similarly, after this whole, like the thing that's happening while Jesus and uh, Peter, James, and John are up in this mountain. The other disciples are trying their best to like get a demon out of this boy, and they're doing a terrible job. So, like, Jesus comes down and he is also really annoyed because they have botched things up and everybody's angry. Mm-hmm. So, there's a similarity even there of like what happens on the ground when somebody is up on the mountain. <laughs> like, there's actually some havoc that's being wreaked here. Yeah. So, Thank you for that. I, that was a connection that I didn't make until you said that. Yeah, it's like everything's not. And Jesus is like, yeah, about to die. Like, oh, you think I'm shiny? Like, <laughs> you know, it's just like everything's not necessarily okay. So I just want us to be careful. I think I want to jump in um, before I forget, because I'm assuming you have notes and your thoughts together. <laughs> the The way that I was taught or one of the things that I was taught about this text is that Peter, James, and John, and perhaps Peter specifically, they were wrong. They did something wrong. They were wrong to try to make a shrine. I've heard they were wrong to try to do something for Jesus, Elijah, and Moses. They like they were wrong. They got it wrong. And I've I just I've heard this sort of some version of like condemning them for their behavior mm. as how this has been preached. So for me, it's like it's either like look out look how amazing jesus is or look at how ridiculous and terrible and wrong the disciples are and that's like those are the sermons that i feel like i've heard from this text Mm. so peter i i love peter he's trying so hard he's peddling so hard here um i don't think he's bad he is wrong and he is kind of absurd in his wrongness the thing that i'm have a quarrel with is the word shrines because the word here is like in other translations you'll see booth or dwelling yep so he's like trying he's not trying to create a shrine which is like a marker of some important thing that happened he's trying to make like a place for them to live and that's what's so absurd because like moses and elijah live with god and have for at this point hundreds of years right jesus is also they're not gonna like camp out on the mountain he's like y'all trying to and stay that's... i'm i'm fix a plate like y'all like <laughs> exactly exactly which is not a bad response it just doesn't make sense he he's trying so hard and i think that's really admirable he's just getting it wrong and peter's sort of a stand-in for us because we're the ones who are stumbling around in chapter eight, we see him saying that Jesus is the was the exact word. He says, "You are the Christ, right?" So when Jesus asks, "And what about you? What do you say that I am?" And Peter says, "You are the Christ," and then Jesus tells him to shut up. Um, the reason why is because Peter doesn't really 
or in my opinion, right? It's because Peter doesn't really understand the implications of what he's saying. And we can see that he doesn't see the implications of what he's saying by how he responds Mm. to seeing Jesus with Moses and Elijah. But then the thing that he's told, instead instead of being told, just shut up about it, he's told, he and James and John are told that they're not supposed to tell anyone about what has happened until after the human one has been risen from the dead, right? So now they are allowed to say something. It's just not yet. So they're getting a little bit more information. They're cued in a little bit more. Is this a function of Mark? The, the, is this Mark's thing that don't say anything? I don't know. I feel like Dr. Kraftchik, I feel like somebody's thing is like, just don't say nothing. And it's, and it's even with the miracles, like, don't, don't say anything. And it's like, yeah, cut it out, cut it out. Yeah. Well, Mark, yeah, the, the continued, like, what's it called? The um, messianic secret. Ah, so that yes. is, Look at that. That's, that's a degree right there working for y'all. <laughs> yeah. Um, the messianic secret is a thing that shows up in Mark a lot, but in terms of the specific um, until after the human one has been risen from the dead, the difference between this one and the transfiguration in Matthew, I can't remember if there's a difference there. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So the degree is working, sort of. Whatever. The point, what I was trying to get at was the pattern of the messianic secret in yeah. Mark, which is a, it's a distinct thing that, that this book does. Um, and I think, again, how we sort of get to know the Bible and, and get to know the text is, is by sharing with listeners that that type of stuff so i just wanted to point out like this is a this is a thing that this book does um and it's it's called mark and that doesn't mean that somebody named mark wrote it right yeah like (laughs) right (laughs) sorry i didn't have anything else to add about like that's right i'm that's accurate that's an accurate statement right yeah absolutely it's much more important to attribute a, a work, a book of the Bible to um, someone whose name is famous than it is to put your na- your own name out there. So Mark is somebody like who's associated with one of the disciples, one of the um, or one of the apostles. And so the person who's writing wants to attach the sort of authority that comes with that name. Uh, to this text so it doesn't mean that mark actually wrote it it means that somebody wants you to think that this is so important that mark could have written it mm-hmm. um, although it's the, theoretically possible that mark did write it it's not it's sort of beside the point if that makes sense mm-hmm. so it was written around 70 a.d which is the closest gospel that we have to jesus's life and death uh, so that's, you know, it's about 35 years after all of this has happened. And this is when the temple in Jerusalem falls. Um, and this is uh, when there's there's a war going on, a Jew- the Jewish-Roman war. So this is a really, really intense period of time where everything is chaotic. The world's being turned upside down. And there's actually a reference to the temple in Jerusalem falling, right, in this text. So it's a really... 
um, the people who are listening to this are having their entire world just like seriously shaken up, filled with violence, everything like that, which could be helpful in understanding why there's so much apocalyptic language. Mm. So you were saying that um, whenever you hear this preached, it's about either sort of the way that people are changed when they become Christians or it's that Peter, James, and John are like stupid. What would you preach instead? Oh, I was going to ask you that. (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm sitting here and I'm like, would I would I even want to preach this? Because there's so much context that's necessary, right? That I feel like it, it I would spend half the sermon setting up the context because I don't think it's fair to assume that people truly appreciate what's going on. Right. So that so that would be a reason why I didn't preach it. Because <laughs> I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, this is taking a lot. Citations, citations everywhere, footnotes. Yes. So then it's like, okay, we want to look for the good news here. It's like, but, but this, like the happiest, potentially the happiest thing that happens is like, Jesus is transformed in front of them. Um, and so maybe, I mean, I'm spitballing here. So maybe the, I mean, yeah, maybe that's the sermon is the realness of Jesus, right. Or the power of Jesus and what, what things Jesus can do in front of us. And it's okay that we don't understand them. Mm-hmm right? It's okay that we don't, we don't fully appreciate it. It's okay that everything isn't necessarily going to be like roses Mm -hmm. after, but like there is something to be said about this valuable, powerful moment of Jesus showing Jesus's power to us in front of us with us. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So maybe I try to do something with that. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Cause that matters, right? That like, Jesus took them there, the text says. So it was intentional. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes I often pray, let God help us to have a God encounter. Because sometimes you just need some reassurance. And I think the story of these disciples, the disciples need a little support, a little encouragement, a little refresher, right? A little hope. Mm -hmm. And I think so do we. And so it's like, Jesus is like, come on come on, let me show you this. And like, yeah, I'm preparing you for, for something else. But I think even in our context, it's like, Jesus will take you someplace just to show you Jesus' power. And not in like a negative, you know, weird patriarchal way, but like a, I'm here. This is real. Here's a, here's a, here's a faith booster shot. Mm. You can see this and you may not get it and you may not understand, but you, you'll you know in your spirit that I'm here with you. And I know for me, that's like, that's something I need. That's something I need when I see like, you know, just all the sad stuff, right? That's something I need when I'm going to have to watch the this body-worn cam of like my clients being abused and mm-hmm. being treated poorly, you know? Like I need to remember that like Jesus is able like Jesus is here and Jesus wants me to see Jesus's power. Jesus Jesus wants me to be reminded. And and in some way maybe there's some conversation about getting a reminder about the ancestors if you will, right? Trying to sort of appreciate African religious traditions and and sort of Black History Month, right? Maybe there's something to be said about Moses and Elijah coming out and all of the ways in which they 
were reminders to the people of the power of God, mm. right? And and of of the possibility of liberation. Mm. So yeah, maybe it's just a way to a, a way to remember. Um, because sometimes that's what we need, you know. Yeah, I love that. I love how you brought in the ancestors as well. Like it's not like they're just signifiers. It's like no, these are people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> These are people who, yeah, mean something, mean liberation. That's good. I would, I would listen to that sermon. I would take some notes. <laughs> Anything that you would preach or add or, or, you know what, just to be spicy because I'm spicy um, or I like to pretend to be spicy. Yeah, I think my friends know I'm not actually spicy. I'm just, I'm like, I'm like a, a mild sauce. Like, it's like a little, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, this is only hot if you're not used to hot shit. <laughs> but anything, so anything that you either would preach or wouldn't preach would not want to want to do with this text. And let me ask you the question. Let me just say, right, I think I mentioned it briefly, but let me just be explicit that I don't love this sort of, bleached white but I think the way out of trying to make whiteness divine is that this is just talking about about clothing and we don't have to attach sort of the normative understanding of race to to the clothing because right we can we can decide that white clothing and black clothing are both divine and valuable Mm -hmm. um and that what this text is telling us is that this is so bright it's it's not even bleached white is like almost clear is where I want to go like you something because when you think of something shiny or like glittery it to me it's almost like silver it's it's not Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's it's perhaps not really trying to get at some sort of problematic you know race-based issue of like Jesus and whiteness and that being the divine or sort of white so wonderful I do think Mm -hmm. it's something to be careful about but I don't know that I'm genuinely concerned in light of all of the other things that we get from this text yeah no I think you're absolutely right and I really appreciate your your distinction earlier about the transformation being separate from the clothing yeah I think the line that really stuck sticks out to me is um rabbi it's good that we're here and I think that I would preach around um you know, Peter doesn't get it right, so to speak. Um, he's terrified. He and he he's trying to do something, but he still recognizes that it's good to be there. Um, Come on in here and preach this word. <laughs> like I think that that's that's where I would center this. Like he doesn't necessarily understand what's happening. Um, his his response to it isn't quite right. But he knows that he is in the midst of something that is is going to change everything. And he wants to be a part of it. Mm. I think that's what I would preach. I think I would, like you said, Jesus brings them up there for a reason. It's not like he just goes up. He's like, you know, Moses goes up alone and God tells him to go up alone. And that's not what's happening here. Jesus specifically brings them up and they're participating. They're witnesses here. They're bearing witness and they are supposed to be telling the story, not just yet, but they they are given one more piece to the to the messianic secret to the puzzle 
of who Jesus really is. And, and God wants to reveal God's self to us in that way. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's good, even if it's terrifying. Mm. Um, and Jesus' death and resurrection is genuinely terrified. Peter's going to get it wrong then too. But Peter's also going to get forgiven on the shore, forgiven for his own sake, not for Jesus's, right? And he's going to be the one who is the rock on which Jesus builds his church, right? So like, you don't have to get it right. You just have to know that it's good to be there. Um, You don't have to get it all the way right to know that you're part of something that is God's work in the world. Mm. Um, And I think that's really, and it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to ask, what is this rising from the dead? Why does the legal why do the legal experts say that Elijah must come first? Like they have tons of questions and Jesus answers some of them and doesn't answer others. It's okay to have those questions and still know that it's good to be there. That's that's what I would preach. That's that I would I would attend, listen, record, give an offering. That's awesome. And I and I love the way that you incorporated what we didn't mention earlier, which is Peter denies God three times after this, after all of these experiences, Peter denies God and then is still forgiven and then ends up with like uh, still a role in, (laughs) in sort of um, the, the, the Jesus work after, you know, after the resurrection. Yeah. And a really important role. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, you can, you and you can even be happy that you're there one minute and then be like, nah, I don't know, dude. Like there's there's so much complexity <laughs> and so much good stuff in like who we are in relationship, you yeah. know, and who we are as as people of faith. And it's like, yeah, even even folks who listen who don't identify as believers, it's like, yeah, cool. Place for you too. Yeah. That no, that's awesome. That's awesome. I think I mean, I don't know about you, but I think we can we can have an altar call and then a benediction we done like we're done <laughs> we're done yep. please i think we're done I Deacons, think we're done should you do you want to give your life to christ <laughs> do you have any <laughs> prayer requests um thank you god for this black history month <laughs> amen um and like benediction time this was great yeah so thank you friend thank you friend i I always, I can do all the reading in the world, but it doesn't do any good until I talk to you. So thank you for, for all of your insight and, and wisdom and fun. Yay. Hot sauce, spicy mouth sauce. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. Let's give them the benediction and roll. Okay. Mm. I never have anything that interesting to say beforehand. So we said it all. So go live as free people. Transformed or not. Keep the faith, baby. Under God was created by Jackie Newsom and Isaiah Lewis. Our music is by Broke for Free. He's a wizard, Harry. He's transfigured himself.